Let's turn tonight to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. The Lord God commands every gospel preacher, whenever he stands to speak in God's name to his people, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. And I have found out for myself, and I suspect for you too, there's nothing I need so much as that comfort that comes to my heart, that encouragement and comfort that comes from the word of God when I come to the house of God. We, we're in the midst of a battle, an uphill battle constantly, constant struggle, and we need some comfort. Well, I've got just the text for that if God will enable me to bring it. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. What a blessed description of every child of God. What a sweet word of grace. With these sweet, sweet words, the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Peter to describe every saved sinner. These are the things which rejoice the hearts of God's elect when all around us seems crushing heavily upon our hearts. You who believe on the Son of God are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of God the Holy Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And grace is yours, and peace multiplied. What a word of grace. These are sweet waters for my soul. There's not an if or a but, or a condition of any kind to pollute this blessed fountain of grace. Let's look at this text line by line, word by word. You just hold your Bibles open on your lap, and if you can remember four words, you can remember my outline. Chosen, sanctified, redeemed, blessed. All right, here's the first thing, chosen. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. All who enjoy the blessings, gifts, and benefits of God's grace in Christ are the objects of God's eternal choice. And that choice of sinners to salvation is called election. Now, contrary to popular opinion, election is not a cuss word, it's a Bible word. It's found throughout the scriptures, and it's found literally in every page of Holy Scripture. You can look anywhere you want to in the Word of God and you will find either election by statement or you'll find election by example. Adam had two sons. God chose one of them, passed the other one by. Moses or Noah lived in a generation in this world that was populous, as populous as the earth is today in all likelihood. And Noah alone found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God chose Noah. The Lord God found many people in Ur of the Chaldees but he chose Abraham and called Abraham. 
The Lord God chose Isaac and passed by Ishmael. He chose Israel and passed by the nations of the world. He chose a multitude of the heavenly angels and passed by those who kept not their first estate. Election is found everywhere, and God's people rejoice in it. When David brought the ark of God up out of the house of Obed-Edom, brought it to the, to the place in Jerusalem where he would build the temple or his son would build the temple, that place set aside for God's worship. David understood that ark represented Christ and God's salvation, God's atonement, God's grace in him. And as he brought that ark of God up, understanding what God had done for him, man, he leaped and danced and rejoiced. And his wife looked at him and she despised him. She said, you've made yourself vile before the people of Israel. He said, honey, you don't understand something. God chose me. <laughs> God chose me. I will rejoice. He passed by your daddy, but he chose me. And I'll make myself more vile than this. The Lord is my God. I'll rejoice in him. Those who are born of God's spirit delight in his electing love. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father unto sanctification of the spirit. Now let's listen, just listen to how this this blessed message of election is presented in Scripture. It's never presented as something that has to be proved, never presented as something that has to be defended. When the apostles write, when the prophets write, they talk about election, not once do they make the supposition that there might be someone who believes the book of God who doesn't believe it. <laughs> they just presume that anyone born of God's Spirit will rejoice in God's election. Listen to this. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest. That's God's election. And causest to approach unto thee. That's the effectual call of God's spirit. Our Lord said to his disciples, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth much fruit. The scripture tells us that when the apostles preached the gospel at Antioch, as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. I recall listening to Mr. Falwell one time, I uh, was listening carefully because he was going to be preaching from Acts 13, 48. I bet he quoted the scripture a dozen times. And when he quoted it, every time he quoted it this way. As many as believed were ordained to eternal life. But that ain't what he says. <laughs> That's perverting scripture. And it's a deliberate perversion of scripture, not accidental. Every single time. He said as many as believed were ordained to eternal life. No, sir. It is not your believing that calls God to ordain you to eternal life. It is God ordaining you to eternal life that calls you to believe. And we rejoice in it. Listen to the scriptures. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And this is how he did it. This is how he did it. The only way God ever blessed anybody, the only way he ever does, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. In love, having predestinated us under the adoption of Jesus, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. In whom we are made, he hath, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That's God's election. We're bound to give thanks always to God for you. 
Brethren, be loved of the Lord because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. But Peter puts the word a little differently. He states it somewhat differently. In our text here, he tells us that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, uh, babbling freewheelers jump on that like June bug on corn. And they, uh, they'll spit this thing at you with a snarl and they say, there you see. God chose us because with his great foreknowledge, he looked out and he saw that we would choose him. But that's not what the text means. That's a perversion of the text. Don't let anyone trip you up and say, well, election is based on God's foreknowledge. That is not what this text teaches, nor is it the doctrine of Scripture. To teach that is to suggest that God Almighty bases his work of grace on your will and your choice. To teach that is to say that God's choice is dependent upon and determined by your choice and thus makes man to be the God of God. And that's utter blasphemy. Well, preacher, what does it mean then? Well, in the scriptures, the word foreknowledge does not mean a foreknowledge of things, but of people. Search the scriptures everywhere it's used. Never does the book of God say what God foreknew. Doesn't say he foreknew you would choose him. Doesn't say he foreknew you would decide for Jesus. Doesn't say he foreknew that you would decide to let Jesus save you. No, no. It says whom he did foreknow. We are elect then according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. But foreknowledge, remember, is not God's omniscience. Omniscience is an attribute of God. Foreknowledge is an act of God. There's a huge difference. God knows all things because he is the omniscient, all-knowing God. But his foreknowledge is an act of his. Foreknowledge in the scriptures basically has four distinct traits, four distinct meanings, if you will. Let me give them to you. The first one you'll find right down in our text in verse 20. The word foreknowledge simply is God's act and decree of foreordination. Now, we're not left to guess about that. You don't have to be a profound theologian to figure it out. You don't have to read and study Greek and Hebrew and Latin and all that stuff. Just got to read verse 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. The word foreknown, same word. <laughs> Identical same word. If you look at many concordance, same word. What's he saying then? The Lord Jesus Christ is that one who was foreordained as our Savior, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And here the word foreknowledge with regard to our election is this. We are chosen of God because God before the world began foreordained and predestinated us unto salvation by Jesus Christ the Lord. Don't let it ever apologize for election. Don't ever be shy about discussing it. I wouldn't debate for five seconds with anyone about it, but declare it. My soul, this is good news. Were it not for God's eternal choice and foreordination of his people unto salvation by election, no one would ever be saved. Election does not in any way shut the doors of heaven against sinners. My soul, it's God's election that throws open the doors of heaven so that sinners not only may come in, but most assuredly shall come in. That's God's election. The word is foreknowledge also teaches 
according to Scripture, something about God's everlasting love. God loved us with an everlasting love. This is what he said. The Lord appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. In the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verse 1, the Scripture says Adam knew his wife Eve. That didn't mean he knew her name. He knew that before. <laughs> that didn't mean he knew where she came from. The Lord took a rib out of his side and made her help me for it. He knew all that. Doesn't mean he knew where she lived. He knew that beforehand. It means he knew her intimately. He entered into the tent and he loved her. The word is used when our Lord speaks. In Matthew he says, Depart from me, you cursed, I never knew you. What? He's the omniscient God. How's he going to judge them? He doesn't know who they are. He doesn't know what they've done. He doesn't know where they lived. Nonsense. He says to those on his left hand, I never knew you. And he says to his sheep, I know you. <laughs> I know you. It means I love you. I love you. Somebody said, well, I thought God loved everybody. Think again. Read this book. Isaiah 43. He said, I gave Egypt for you. I gave Ethiopia for you. I gave Seba for you. I gave people for you, men for you, and nations for you. And you talk about God loves everybody? Try explaining that. Oh, no. God, the Father from eternity, loved his people with an everlasting love. He says to us in John 17, our Lord Jesus says, Thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. <laughs> same way, for the same reasons, to the same degree. What does that mean? Our Lord Jesus stands before God Almighty as our mediator, the God-man, and based upon his perfection in his mediation, based upon his perfection in his obedience, based upon his perfection in obeying his father's will. He said, for this cause doth my father love me because I lay down my life for the sheep. That can only be understood, David, as he is a mediator. The father loved him as his son from eternity, always does. But now he loves him as our mediator from eternity because he looked upon his son as our mediator in his perfect obedience and loved us in him with an everlasting love because of who he is. The scripture says he has chosen us according to his foreknowledge. He chose us because before the world was, because he loved us. <laughs> and there never was a time when he got started doing it. Always did. Always did. Well, preacher, how can you explain that? When you can explain eternity, I'll start talking to you about that. <laughs> God Almighty loved us with an everlasting love. And did you ever notice in Scripture that the love of God for his people is almost always placed in the past tense? Almost always. Because this is something God did, and it never changes. It never varies. It never rises. It never lowers. It never increases. It never diminishes. Because he loved us, Gary, 
for Christ's sake, in Christ, because of Christ, and that'll never change. <laughs> this word foreknowledge also has the idea, conveys the thought of divine approval. Listen to this. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now, what does this mean? The Lord knows the way the righteous live, but he doesn't understand the way the wicked live? That's the only option. <laughs> Unless you understand that the Lord approves of the way of the righteous. Always approves of the way of righteous. Because the way of the righteous is his son. The way of the righteous honors him. The way of the righteous is the way of faith. The way of righteous is following Christ. And the Lord approves of the way of the righteous. He doesn't approve of any other way. <laughs> Never has. And when the scripture says that God chose Jack Shanks according to his foreknowledge, the scripture saying this, God chose you because before the world began, he approved of you in Christ. We read it earlier, didn't we? Wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. How about that? <laughs> Not acceptable. Not maybe acceptable. But he from eternity looked on us in his son with a smile of approbation and approved of us before time began. And he approves of us now. And he will approve of us when time is no more. He approves of us. This word foreknowledge also has the idea of infallible safety and security. The foundation of God standeth sure. What's the security of it? This world going to hell in a handbasket right now. We, we live in a generation. If you don't understand, we live in a generation under the judgment of God Almighty. You don't understand it. This is not a possibility. This is reality. God has sent blindness and darkness and delusion over this world. The judgment of God is everywhere. Everywhere. Well, what's the security of God's church and God's people? The foundation of God standeth sure. How do you know? The Lord knows them that are his. <laughs> he knows. My little girl, I just have one. And uh, so I realize that doesn't qualify me for giving much counsel on parenting because she was a girl. <laughs> but uh, she'd come along, you know, and she'd have some frightening experience, some scare, some little thing just terrified her. I'd put up on my chest and hug her and I'd say, Daddy knows. That made everything all right. Made everything all right. Man, she thought I could handle anything. <laughs> yeah, she's learned better now. She's 28 years old, but she used to think I could handle anything. And just for her to know, I know meant security. Will you listen to me? Our God not only can, He does handle everything. And He knows you. He knows you. He approves of you. He loves you. He foreordained you, and he keeps you secure. That's his hand. 
elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, if you ever get in on it, you'll delight in it. We who believe God, all who've experienced his saving grace, rejoice and give thanks to God for that blessed foreknowledge which is our election. Oh, how I rejoice in electing love. Tis not that I did choose thee, for, Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee hadst thou not chosen me. My heart owns none before thee. For thy rich grace I thirst, this knowing, if I love thee, thou must have loved me first. <clears throat> but, you know, election is not the first thing to be learned, known, and is not the first thing experienced. It just didn't. It's first thing to take place, not first thing experienced. You'll never know your election by God's grace until you've been sanctified by God's spirit in regeneration. And that's the second thing mentioned in our text. It is the fact that every believer is sanctified. Sanctified. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the spirit. <clears throat> Did you ever notice how the apostles writing the New Testament always, 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 without exception, always, without exception, refer to God's people as saints. They're saints. Saints. There said St. David Pledger. <laughs> there he is. Doesn't look much like a saint to me. You're not one that counts. God says he's a saint. A saint. That's a sanctified one. Oh, but I thought, I thought God saved us and then we got sanctified. No, you thought wrong. If God saved you, you're sanctified. Sanctified. That's what a saint is. Saints are sinners accepted in the Son. Sanctification is commonly thought to be something that a believer does for himself with a little bit of urging and influence and guidance and direction by the Holy Spirit. You know, you, uh, the Lord, he puts you in the kingdom. He gives you grace. He, he gives you a, a sort of an inclination, sort of a, sort of a desire to do good. And then you, you just work and strive and work and strive and you read and you pray and you study and you fast and you, you separate yourself and you quit going to picture show and you don't watch TV and you, you, you dress silly and all those things. And after a while, you get so ripe for heaven, the Lord just takes you. Is there anybody here who's ever experienced it? I suspect, Brother Hartley, you're as close to being as old as any of us. And I suspect you struggle as much with sin right now as you did first time God met you in his saving grace. Is that just honest? Is that just reality? Well, preacher, what does the scripture mean when it says sanctified? Sanctified. The root of the word means to set apart. To set apart a person or a thing for God, for a holy purpose or for holy use. In the tabernacle, all the vessels were sanctified, set apart. Here's, here's a vessel. Got 5,000 of them out here. That not set apart. That's what it means, set apart. Set apart for God. <laughs> so don't you touch it. It's mine. 
That's what God says. Set apart for Him. All the vessels were sanctified and all the priests were sanctified, set apart from Israel. They didn't even have their lot with the rest of the inhabitants of Israel. They were set apart for special service. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself was sanctified, set apart for men, sanctified. Does that mean somehow he got more and more good, more and more better, and more and more holy? I know what I'm saying. <laughs> he just made himself better and better and better until at last he was sanctified? No. He came here holy. He came here in the perfection of manhood. He came here in the perfection of godhood. He came here in the perfection of holiness and never deviated from it. But he sanctified himself. He set himself apart continually to God his Father alone. That's what it is. Now, in the scriptures, God's elect is said to be sanctified in these three ways. These three ways. In Jude, verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. Hmm. Boy, that sounds different, doesn't it? <laughs> it should have read... Called, preserved, and sanctified. No, it should read just like it does. Sanctified, preserved, and called. This is what it means. God chose you before the world began. He set you apart. He said, this is mine. This man, this woman, these are mine. They're mine. And he says to all hell, don't you touch them. They're mine. Preserved. Unto the day called the time of love appointed by God from eternity when he would send his spirit and now you're called. <laughs> so that we're sanctified by God's election. The scripture also says in Hebrews 10 verse 10 that we're sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. So that we were set apart for God, set apart to be made holy, set apart to be holy and without blame before him. And now the Lord Jesus Christ has come. And by the power of his blood, by the efficacy of his blood, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has blotted out our transgressions. His righteousness is imputed to us. And God says, you're holy. You're holy. Declared to be holy. Not only set apart for holiness, but now declared holy. So that the Lord God looks on his people. In Jesus Christ the Son, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, always with approval, because he declares us holy in him from eternity. Holy, holy. And then we're said to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. When God the Holy Spirit comes in sovereign grace, in irresistible power and causes the dead sinner to be made alive in Jesus Christ and gives him faith in Jesus Christ. That sinner has a holy nature put in him. We're said to be made partakers of the divine nature so that something new is put in you altogether. Something totally foreign. Something totally outside yourself. If God's ever saved you by his grace, if he is ever pleased to save you by his grace, this is what he'll do when he saves you. He's going to open your soul, open your heart, and drop into you that holy thing that's born of God. Holy. So that those who are sanctified 
were separated to holiness, declared to be holy, and actually now made holy because the Holy Spirit puts a new nature in them. If any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Sanctified in Jesus Christ. Now then, the scripture speaks in this language. But what does it mean that Peter put sanctification before redemption? Why did he do that? Did he contradict Jude's statement about us being sanctified from eternity by God's decree? Did he contradict Paul who put sanctification after redemption? Is the Bible, after all, a confusing mass of contradictions as the infidel would assert? No, certainly not. Well, how do you understand this? It's simple. Just as simple and plain as nose on your face. Jude writes in the order in which God Almighty has accomplished his work of grace. Peter is writing about the order in which we experience his grace. You don't know anything about election until you've been given life and faith in Christ. No. Now you might have the theory in your head. <laughs> you might have the doctrine memorized, but you can't possibly know you're chosen of God until God gives you life and faith in Christ. That's the evidence of election is the call of the Spirit. We make our calling and election sure, believing on the Son of God. All right, now look at the next line of our text. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now here Peter shows us that the object of God the Father in election and the object of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, sanctification, is that his elect be brought to the experimental enjoyment of the fact that we are redeemed. <laughs> redeemed. In the preaching of the gospel, we preach to you. We preach to sinners everywhere. Never do we preach the possibility of redemption. Never. We don't say to anybody, you might be redeemed. Never. You could be redeemed. Never, never. But rather we declare redemption accomplished. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. It was done. It was done 2,000 years ago. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, bore the curse of God's law as my substitute, when he bore my sin in his body on the cursed tree, when he endured the wrath of God to the full satisfaction of divine justice, he redeemed me. It was done. Finished. The Lord God looked on the sacrifice of his son and he said, that's enough. That satisfies justice. I require no more. I demand no more. But I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know a thing on earth about that. Until God the Holy Spirit came in saving power, convincing me of my sin, of Christ's righteousness, and of the judgment of my sin in his son. And looking to Christ, he effectually applies that redemption to my heart. It's called the sprinkling of the blood. In the Old Testament, you can read it for yourself in Hebrews 9. The apostle argues like this. He says, if, if the sprinkling of the blood of goats and calves sanctified to the pure, are, are satisfied to the purifying of the flesh. These, these folks came year by year. And they offered the Passover lamb 
the blood was sprinkled. Aaron came out and lifted his hands and blessed the people. And they went on their way. They said God satisfied with that. Ceremonially and typically. They understood the ceremony. This is what God requires in type, in picture, and in ceremony. Now, if they were satisfied with the picture, how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself once for the sacrifice of our for the sacrifice of himself for the putting away of our sins. How much more shall the sprinkling of his blood sanctify, purify your conscience? From dead works? What on earth does that mean? Believing on the Son of God, I look to Christ. I look to him in the teeth of all my sin as best I know them. And I see his sacrifice. I see what he paid. And my conscience, my conscience that nearly drove me to hell, my conscience that tormented me with death, my conscience that pronounced me guilty, my conscience that could never be satisfied no matter what I did, my conscience looks on him and says, that's enough. That's enough. Blessed be God. Will you hear me? Will you hear me now? My conscience is at peace with God Almighty. In all His holiness, in all His justice, in all His righteousness, my conscience says God cannot require more than God gave. That's enough. You sing that song. A.J. Gordon one time was walking down the street up in Chicago in the dead of winter down the alleyway and saw these little boys down the alley playing around. He, uh, he walked back there to see what they was doing. Back in those days, you'd get by with it. And he, uh, he saw they had a couple of birds in a cage, this little homemade cage. He said, boys, what y'all doing? He looked up at him and said, preacher, we got a couple of old snowbirds here. He said, what you done with them? He said, go play with them. He said, what you going to do when you get there? He said, that's going to kill them. He said, uh, he said, I'll buy them from you. One of the boys looked up at him and said, they're just old black birds. Just old snow birds, preacher. You don't want these birds. He said, I'll give you $2 for them, cage and all. Both boys looked at each other. He said, give us the $2. He gave him $2. Those boys walked around the corner. As they walked out of sight, he picked up that cage. He said, uh, I bought you. You're mine. He opened the door and said, I set you free. He said, I could hear them as they went off flying in the air, singing, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the That's it. The Son of God put away the curse and bought us at Calvary. And then he sends his spirit and sprinkles our conscience and purges our guilty conscience from dead works, assuring us of life and the gift of everlasting life in him causing us to be at peace with God. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Alright, one more word. Because we are chosen of God. Because we are sanctified by God's Spirit. Because we are redeemed by God's Son. We're blessed. We're 
elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, unto obedience in the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. <laughs> I'm redeemed. I'm sanctified. I'm chosen. And I'm blessed. Always blessed. Blessed when God sends bitterness. And blessed when he sends sweetness. Blessed. Blessed. Blessed when God lays a, a heavy, heavy load on my heart. And blessed when God gives me joy. Blessed when the Lord gives. And blessed when the Lord takes away. Blessed. I used to do business with a fellow. Anstead, West Virginia. He owned a car lot there in a garage. And I used to do a good bit of business with him. Got to know him pretty well. He got a little dose of religion. He started uh, talking and stuff, you know, and I started to leave every time I'd see him. He said, Lord bless you. Lord bless you. And I kept thinking, I sure would like to know just exactly what to say to him. Just say the right thing. Don't want to needlessly offend anybody. Don't want to say the right thing. Finally one day, driving down the garage, I knew exactly what he was going to say, and I made up my mind what I was going to say. I started to leave. He said, now, Don, the Lord bless you real good. I said to him, Bob, the Lord has blessed me and always does. <laughs> and it never changes. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> he didn't have the slightest idea what I was talking about. But he asked me next time and I told him. <laughs> oh, children of God, grace be unto you. That's not my wish. That's not Peter's wish. That's the pronouncement of divine inspiration, Landon. You're blessed with grace and peace. Peace be multiplied. Grace and peace never diminished, never divided, but just multiplied. Multiplied. With every breath we draw, grace and peace multiply, multiply. Oh, now there is comfort for my soul. Would you have grace and peace multiplied to you? Would you have rest for your soul? Look away to Christ. Believe on the Son of God. And if right now, right where you sit, you can look to Christ. If you can look to Christ. If you can look to all my soul. If you can believe on the Son of God. I tell you, without the least fear of contradiction, God chose you. The Spirit has sanctified you. Christ has redeemed you. And though you've never experienced it before, from old eternity, God blessed you. And he's been blessing you all the days of your life. So that right now he brought you here to believe on the Son of God. 
and grace and peace will be multiplied to you forever. Amen.